So, uh, you catch the game last night? Lakers uh, Clippers? Oh, I was I was too busy watching uh Pelicans um and Raptors. Raptors. That went yeah. overtime. Yeah, that, that was, was that was game. Definitely the game of the night. Yeah, I mean I have never seen I think the Lakers posted up something like 25 different times. Yeah, they're running literally the 90s offense. Exactly. It's And it worked in like the first half. Well, but the issue with the Lakers is that they have Anthony Davis and LeBron James, two great players. One and a half great players. Well, LeBron's a top 10 player in the league. They have Danny Green, who is decidedly not one of those. And then they have a sort of an absence of anything good. Dwight Howard is about 50 pounds lighter and looks... Did you see his shorts? I don't know what he's doing anymore. I... It's this is not uh, this is not like Dwight Howard pick you up and slam you into the rim. This is oh, wasn't there also baseball last night? Oh yeah, isn't this a baseball podcast? Okay, this is a baseball podcast, but we're basketball fans too, so we just wanted to let you know that in a couple weeks, the baseball season will be over, and so we're going to be switching, transitioning into basketball as pretty much the focus of our thing. We'll have baseball segments as they come up. Obviously, we're going to have the hot stove. We're going to have free agency. But we'll also be concentrating on basketball because baseball might be the most fun sport around, but basketball is a hell of a sport for the wintertime. And so I think we might have a couple rotating guests who are surprises to both you, the audience, and to my co-host. And, yeah. So we're excited for basketball season. Don't worry about, like, just a dearth of things to talk about because baseball has ended because we are ready to keep it going. We absolutely are. But first, Milo Hamilton. Swinging, lining it to left. And welcome back to episode four of the StatCast. I'm Sam Greenman, and I'm joined by, as always, Harrison Friedman. Hello. So, let's talk about the game last night. But the game that was actually important and not just, you know, the first game of an 82-game schedule. Let's talk about game one of the World Freaking Series. Is that... Is that it's baseball, right? It's baseball. Okay. It's baseball. Actually, before we get to game one of the World Series... It's been a little while since we put up a podcast, and in between, some crazy stuff has happened, specifically at the end of the Astros-Yankees ALCS. So, Sam, you want to take the floor and talk about that some? Yeah, so we had a game six. Um, Astros were up three games to two, uh, looking to close it out. Um, They started Peacock, Brad Peacock, threw him out there for one inning, and... You know, the Astros pretty much did the job um, that they, they were a, wanting to. Guriel hit a three-run homer in in the bottom of the first, gave them a 3 nothing lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, Urshela hit a home run, I know. What was the first run scored on? I don't remember. It was um, it was a close game the entire time. The Astros had, like, that 3-1 lead, which they were holding on to, and the Yankees scored some runs, the Astros scored some runs. It was a real back-and-forth kind of game. But then we get to the ninth inning. And this is probably one of the best ninth innings you'll ever see in a sports game. Yankees are up against the wall. They're down by two runs. They have the bottom of their order coming up to the plate. Followed, I think, like their 8-9 hitter, followed by their 1-2-3, et cetera, et cetera. And so Gio Urshela's already had a pretty good game at this point. But they're going up against the Astros' closer, Roberto Osuna. Urshela draws a walk. The nine-hitter? Who's the nine-hitter? Gardner. Brett Gardner gets out. DJ LeMahieu, who really has had a phenomenal year. He's been the best Yankee hitter all season long, I want to say. So he hits a shot deep to right. Uh, George Springer, the Astros right fielder, who has, by the way, made a living robbing home runs. He once robbed 
a walk-off grand, not a walk-off, because of that minute made, but he once walked a, off a grand slam in the 10th inning of a game against the Rangers in a game. No, that was, that was in Texas. Oh, that was in Texas? Yeah, yeah that so was Leonis Martin. I he, remember that. He robbed a walk-off grand slam before. So if George Springer catches this ball right here, it would have been the second out, but it pretty much would have been uh, the end of the ball game. Instead, the ball escapes him by just about half a foot. It's a home run. It's into the seats. And the Yankees tie up the Astros, and then they have send Aaron Judge and Glaber Torres to the plate, who unfortunately then proceed to get out. But then we have the Astros also bringing up the bottom of their lineup against the Yankees' closer in a tie ball game at home. And as you can imagine, the crowd was kind of nuts. So Astros' eight hitter gets out. Astros' nine hitter gets out. George Springer, who is Probably the new Mr. October at this point. Like, I think he hit. We'll talk about that later. But yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that soon. But so George Springer gets up to the plate against Aroldis Chapman, who's throwing 99-mile-per-hour heat. But he's also a little bit wild. He works a walk. And then Jose Altuve, who has been the hero before against the Yankees in the bottom of the inning again, on times like this. First two pitches are also balls. Third is a strike. Then he hangs a fast, then he hangs a slider right over the top part of the zone. And Altuve just launches it into left center field. Game over. Astros win. See you later. I would love to get the picture of Aroldis Chapman standing on the mound, smiling, framed, because that's just pure fuel for my veins. Like, there couldn't, it couldn't have been a bigger asshole on the mound at that moment. And I remember Osuna, but we'll talk about that well, later. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, some people still say he's standing on that mound right now. You know, nobody <laughs> nobody has confirmed that he's left that mound. Yeah, just you do everything you can to win a game, and then the other team just outdoes you, and Chapman is just there grimacing through a smile. I don't know if he was just overcome by the absurdity of it all and how dumb of a sport baseball is that things like that can just happen to you. But I was going crazy. I'll tell you that much. As an Astros fan, seeing the Astros beat the Yankees, oh, for the second time in three years in the ALCS to go to the World Series in a decade in which the Yankees didn't even make the World Series. It was the first time that the Yankees hadn't made a World Series in a decade since the 1910s. Yeah, that's... uh, my, not a hundred years. They obviously they've made it in the past hundred years, but that's ten decades since they had a decade like that. So that's pretty incredible. Yeah, and it set up a uh, World Series matchup of the Nationals, who swept the Cardinals and held them basically lifeless through all four games against yeah. the Astros. And yeah. we had Game One last night, and it was an absolute doozy. It was fun to watch. It was four hours because it's October, even though only eighty nine runs were scored. It was fun to watch. Could have been shorter, but, I mean, let's just get right into it. Yeah. First hitter of the game, Trey Turner, base hit, steals a base, gets us tacos. Free we tacos get, for America. We get tacos October 30th. Mark it down on your calendar. Trey Turner has won us tacos. He did it in a hurry. Yes. And then, this is off, by the way, Garrett Cole. And the Astros were very happy in the ALCS to win in six games because if it had taken them a seventh, if they'd gone to a seventh, then they would have had to start Garrett Cole, and he wouldn't have been able to pitch until game three of the World Series. And that's notable because Garrett Cole had an ERA coming into this game below one. He did not, in the playoffs, he did not leave, and he hadn't lost a start since May 13th. Or is it May 22nd? May 22nd. May 22nd. That was going to change. Sam, why don't you talk about it more? So then, I believe... Bottom t- of the first. Bottom of the first uh, against Scherzer, who's... He had to work very hard every inning in this game. Yeah. Uh, 96 pitches through four innings. 96 pitches through four innings. He only got through five innings. Yeah. And through 112 pitches. Um, He lets up... Two runs in the first? Two runs in the first on a Gurriel two-run double. Yeah. On a high fastball. Weird swing, but, you know, it happens. It looked like it was out by when he hit it, but it just bounced off the ice. It was this very tall wall. Yeah, and top then top of the second, Garrett Cole gives up a home run to the Nationals' first ever draft pick as a franchise 
in Washington called the Nationals. They drafted yeah. him with their first pick that no they six. ever had. Oh six was it? Must have been right. It's something like that. I think it was oh five. Okay, one of the two. Yeah, their first ever draft pick hits a Ryan Zimmerman. Ryan Zimmerman. He hits a moonshot to center, uh, makes it two to one, and then Juan Soto, aka the creator of the Juan Soto shuffle, uh, <laughs> hits one onto the train tracks. Oppo. Yeah. Which doesn't really happen that much. And I don't know if you've heard this, but Juan Soto is 20 years old. Yeah, he's almost, you know, imagine how good Juan Soto is going to be when he's Adley Rutschman's age. Yeah. <laughs> Adley Rutschman, first overall pick in this, the draft this year. Juan Soto is basically um, Albert Pujols. Is it safe to say that? He's Albert Pujols who can also play in the outfield. I don't think there's a comparison for that. I think there is. I think Albert Pujols. Juan Soto could be the best player of the 2020s. So keep an eye on him, folks. But and there's, what, and there's more to come yeah, just in this game. So it's 2-2. And then I forget. Do the Astros? No. Um, no, no, they don't, right? No, yeah, no it's 2-2. So. Two two. Soto comes up. Uh, and so the fifth inning... Uh, Nationals get a couple more guys on base. The, bo- the bottom of the order is hitting. Then the top of the lineup gets in- into it. I think Rendon drove in a run to make it 3-2. F- to two. And just a side note, Garrett Cole had not allowed a run from a hit that was not a home run since August 28th. He also hadn't trailed in a game since around, like, August 7th. Yeah. He, he's... And this, this is the first time he had trailed in a game in two and a half months. Yeah. Which is just, it's crazy to think. Garrett Cole was, has been, was amazing this year. Yeah, so that gives the the Nationals the 3-2 lead. And then Soto comes comes up and does it again, works works the count, and gets, you know, a, I believe it was a slider, or maybe a changeup that he just hit, hits to left off the wall. Brantley makes a kind of rough play out there. Yeah, I think, well, Brantley doesn't have that much athleticism. Yeah. And also... It, I think it was just hit a little bit too high for him to get to it in the first place, a little too fast. Yeah. So, uh, but two runs scored, uh, made it five to two. In like, my mind is just running. Like, how to how the heck does Garrett Cole give up five runs? I don't at think this day in this day and age. Had he done it since like May? No, the April? only yeah last year. No, it was May twenty second, I believe, was the last time he. Yeah, might maybe earlier than that. It was. Against the White Sox. That was the last time he had let up five earned runs. Yeah. And again, when we're talking about these, we're talking about months. It's been months since Garrett Cole did what he did. The Astros, as you can imagine, we're not expecting this to happen. Garrett Cole is your ace. You're expecting to just be able to give your ball, the ball to your ace on game one of the World Series. The Nationals did it. Scherzer survived. That's all you needed him to do. But Garrett Cole couldn't quite pull it off and... He eventually did go seven innings. Yeah, his pitch count was relatively low. Yeah. The issue was the Nationals did a good job of just p- sort of packing on the runs. They had they, those they, they, def- they, had they those grouped homers. Their, they grouped together their hits very yeah. well. Yeah, I, I wanted to talk about that. The Nationals got a couple homers at opportune times and they also um when the when they also paired hits together and kept the inning going. The Astros after the first inning uh, but they really, they kept trying all game, but they couldn't really pull it off. It was sort of a bend but don't break break kind of thing. It seemed like every inning that the Astros had runners on base, they loaded the bases in one inning, but Jordan Alvarez just couldn't pull it off. And so the Nationals, like, the, the Astros got one run on back on a Springer homer to make it 5-3. to three. They got the, a second run back in the eighth inning, but, or was it the seventh? It was the eighth inning. Yeah, they got a second run back in the eighth inning. But what they couldn't do was capitalize with runners in scoring position. And that's been a theme. That's something they couldn't really pull off in the series against the Yankees, even as they did, even though they did win that series. They won that series, basically, because of two really clutch hits, because the other four games were basically where one team just had a big advantage over the other one. So with sort of a lack of clutch hits in these kind of situations, the Astros really need to turn it up in situations like this. And the person who I think really needs a look in the mirror is Alex Bregman, who has been three for 22 since the ALCS. He got, he was facing Sean Doolittle, I believe, to lead off the bottom of the ninth down one. 
and he somehow gets beat on a fastball basically right down the middle. I don't, yeah. I don't know what he was looking for. Like, righty on lefty. 2-1 pitch. He just takes a 95-mile-per-hour fastball right down the pipe. And then swings and misses late at one that was 92 or 93 Yeah, and strikes out. And that's very a very bad sign if that's going to keep going yeah. for the Astros and Bregman because they need Bregman to produce if they're going to have a chance in this series. Here's a theory that I have. And I noticed that the Astros, more than any other team, pretty much in baseball, were really phenomenal hitting off-speed stuff. And what I also noticed is that while the Astros were really good at hitting fastballs, they were not quite as good as the other teams as hitting really high, like really fast fastballs. Like they, their batting average, I think, was 30 points worse, or maybe their Wobo, whatever, than the Nationals. The Yankees were a lot better than them. I thought the Astros were pretty, like below average to pretty mediocre as far as hitting really fast, uh, hitting high heat like that. And I wonder if there's a connection between those because what do you know about people like Bregman or the rest of the Astros lineup is they struck out the least in baseball and they also were one of the – was one. Of, they were also one of the best offenses in baseball. Yuli Gurriel actually had a streak snapped last night of, I believe, 62 straight plate appearances without striking in po- out. In the postseason. In the postseason, yeah. Dating back to the ALCS last year. Yeah. And so maybe the Astros' plan is – maybe the Astros are very good at pick, pitch recognition, but it's really hard to catch up with a fastball if it's a few ticks higher versus something which is like 80 miles per hour or not. Like, if you if you don't know what's coming and it's – I don't know. It's an off-speed pitch. You can sort you can sort of like make your guess a little late over whether you think it's going to go in the zone or not. But if it's uh, just a fastball, if it's a hundred miles per hour near the top of the zone and it's going to be a borderline pitch, you can't catch up with that. Your swing can't really catch up with that. That's just a theory that I had. Yeah. What do so, you think? And so, the kind of the you see what happened in Game Five ALDS Astros Rays. You know. There was a clear uh, visual key for the Astros from Glasnow. You know, he was tipping his pitches. His he would yeah. from when he when he came set, he would hold his glove higher if it were if it was a fastball and lower if it were a curveball. Yeah. So and they strung together three or four straight hits, and then they just didn't really get a hit for the next seven innings until they hit a solo home run in the eighth. Yeah. And then I believe it came up again in the Yankee series, maybe with Paxton. Was it? Yeah, the issue is is that someone like Glass now, he's throwing 99 on his fastball. So even if you know it's coming, the Astros, again, preach a lot of play discipline. So they don't want to swing at balls outside the strike zone. Yeah, but the, I think this, seri- this series, there was maybe either this series or a continuation from the ALCS. It's been, they've been uncharacteristically characteristically aggressive. Yeah, that's because I think they've been so behind they they've realized that that's sort of something which they've been lacking especially since you think in game one of the alcs when masahiro tanaka did what which was absolutely phenomenal i don't think the astros have been shut out the entire playoffs besides that game he shut out the astros because on pretty much the first pitch of every single at bat he'd throw a borderline strike that just caught the zone and was basically a perfect pitch when someone like Tanaka is on, that's going to give the Astros fits because what they like to do is square up the ball. So here's – I love talking about pitch sequencing because – Oh, me too. I, yeah, I, I I was a pitcher, still am a pitcher, um, hopefully for the club team next semester. But I think the main thing is with, with a really great lineup, first pitch, it can't, it can't be a fastball in the zone. It has to be something that spins, and it's got to be – out of out of the happy zone for hitters, and I think the Astros are sitting dead red first pitch. They're seeing spin taking it, and it's a strike. They're already you know in the hole 0-1 before they can even you know see what's happening. I think the I think a big thing is that the Astros, yeah, they're preaching plate discipline, but and you know it worked. You know their goal was to get Scherzer out of the out of the game early, and they did 112 pitches in five innings. Yeah. A lot 20, of full counts. He had twenty plus pitches in the first in four the first innings, four innings. Each yeah. of the first four innings, and yeah, so it's you know it worked. It's just that they can't string together hits. It's walk, hit, and then you know walks only move the runner so far. 
Yeah, walk. If, and, if a guy's on second and you get and you get a walk, that doesn't really change the bottom line very much. Yeah, two outs, runner on second, a walk is not as good as a hit. Yeah. So you know they're preaching good plate discipline, but a counter, like an effect of that, a negative effect of that is that you maybe become over over patient and you take the first couple pitches or even a pitch later in the count that you know you think you'll look back at the take and you think mm, you know man I should have hit that one because you know oh we want to drive the pitch count up I think one of the things that always bothered me was people taking the first pitch especially if it was a fastball yeah. because I consistently think maybe maybe not so much recently because you know pitchers have been charting everything and you know seeing what's who swings at the first who swings pitch. at the first pitch you know you saw yeah you saw you saw the commentators saying a lot about you know he's you know he's this guy's always ready to f- hit on the first pitch you know like he's a Altuve Altuve is very aggressive early in the count yeah loves to get the high high fastball up you know and so a lot of the previous approach in previous years was to take that pitch yeah like automatically just take the first pitch no matter what and it really get an eye for the pitcher. See yeah, what he's it with. really irked me because that's the best pitch you're going to see that at bat. Mm-hmm. If if the if basically if the pitcher can throw the first pitch for a strike, and you're not going to swing at it, that is the best pitch you're going to see all at bat because then the rest of the at bat he's going to be trying to get you to chase to make up for it because he's only got to make two more good pitches, not even two more good pitches. He's only got to make you swing two more times, and that's it. I'll tell you one thing that's great about watching these games is you know you get a sense for what what the pitcher's mindset is and you mm-hmm. you know you call out a pitch and it's like next pitch is going to be a change up down and away because you know this this and this happened and so his eye level is here he's going to readjust down here and you know yes. the re- the real baseball fans just love you know calling out pitches and it's just great when you get them right because it tells you you're in tune with the game mm-hmm. and it's really I think that's really fun. Yeah, and John Smoltz, who has been like, I don't know, a lot of people don't like a lot of his announcing because what he talks about sometimes is like, oh, I wish the game was back to this way. And I understand that. I understand that if you have an announcer for the World Series, he should really love the game that he's covering. But at the same time, one thing that's really great about seeing someone like John Smoltz on the national stage, John Smoltz, who famously pitched at a Hall of Fame level for the Atlanta Braves in the 90s, is he's the kind of guy who knows exactly what the pitcher is thinking and has done his research and knows what he knows what pitch is going to come next. He's going to call them out, sort of like Tony Romo does in football. And so that's why I really have appreciated having someone like John Smoltz in the announcing booth for games like this. I agree. Um, there's a couple examples of that that happened in this game, and it extends to not only pitching but you know the the game itself. So you know, first inning, um, you had. He said, I'm pretty sure before things got going, you know, expect to see a lot of bunts and, st- and stolen base attempts this this series. Yeah. Because, you know, I I guess he did his homework and saw that, you know, that's something that these two teams like to do. Robles. What, and, so what, and what happens immediately? Base hit. Trey Turner steals. Adam Eaton tries to bunt him over. And, oh, yeah. And then, top second, Ryan Zimmerman's up. Smoltz says, you know, his ha- his happy zone is, d- is fastballs down in the zone. That's where he can hit it out. And next pitch is down the zone, and Zimmerman hits it out. Yeah, and so also speaking of the steals and every and bunts and everything like that, the Nationals led the majors by about thirty bunts. Yeah, so they bunted about thirty more times more than everybody. They have they have a great lineup to do it. They got Turner, Eaton, yeah. Robles, yeah, and all so those guys, guys who have I don't know, they have decent play discipline and they really have wheels. And also the Astros are going to be stealing a lot. I was honestly surprised they didn't include Miles Straw, who's a real speedster, one of the five fastest guys in baseball on their roster, because Kurt Suzuki has one of the worst throwing arms of any catcher in baseball. He's basically only on the team because he can hit decently well. He, but, could, he could also block really well. There were, yeah, there were a can, lot of blocks last yeah, night that he, were very nice. He needs to block very well. But unfortunately, his arm is pretty bad. I think he... like. Not only do does he have a low uh, caught stealing rate, he also there's also a high volume of people stealing on him. Yeah. And so what you saw with George Springer, who while he's a very fast, athletic guy, doesn't steal very often. He stole a base against him in the first inning, I think it was. I yeah. no, I think or was maybe it, later what, did, I think it was the steal of third when the actually that might have been a wild pitch. No, but. he he stole second on or maybe he was already going. That could be. I think he stole second and Altuve walked. 
or something or something along those lines. That might, that might. What I'm remembering is Altu is Altuve on first and Springer on second and a ball in the dirt that really didn't get that far away from Suzuki, but Springer took third. And I think surprisingly, was, Altuve didn't take second. I think that on was that. later on in the game. Okay. I think that happened twice. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think it's very interesting seeing something like that. So, and also, sort of speaking on what we were talking about before, Jordan Alvarez was really, really bad against the Yankees in the ALCS. And one thing that people noticed is that he sort of had a long swing. And so he couldn't really catch up to stuff. He was getting beat on early pitches, and he just made a lot of mistakes swinging on stuff that was down, that was uh, down like over the plate, but just dropped. So breaking bit pitches. So what he did is he shortened up his swing a little bit. And so he isn't getting as much power behind it, but he got a couple singles and a walk during the game to really start himself off right. And I think that was really impressive, seeing a young hitter adjust and realize, oh, I've actually been too aggressive. And so what I should, or sort of a mix between trying to keep play discipline, but also trying to be aggressive. And he's like, I should just try to get hits because Jordan Alvarez is really good at hit, getting yeah, the, that's... hitting the ball to all fields. I think he had one to center. He had one to right center. He And he obviously he, he walked. walked. Yep. So, yeah, that was an impressive game from a rookie. And I think that uh, he should go on to have a good series. I think he obviously he did get out with the bases loaded uh, in the eighth inning in a situation where he could have broken the game wide open. But... Again, if he keeps doing what he's doing, then I think he could make a serious impact on the rest of the series. A couple of oddball things happened that I kind of want to bring up. Yeah. So I believe it was top eight that um, Juan Soto was on first, stole second, ball went into center field, and Correa, without the ball, holds the glove on his hand yeah. to try to fool him. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, 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 you might laugh. Oh I, oh, I saw that happen. Yeah, yeah, no, you might, yeah, I know. I thought it was really funny. They were, like, talking to each other afterwards, so it was like... Yeah, but there's a, there's a there's a thing that, that not a lot of uh, people that watched it realize. Earlier this year, one, or, um, Javi Baez did the same thing against I the remember, Brewers. Yeah. And there was a whole controversy because Craig Cancel, the Brewers manager, thought that, you know, isn't, isn't that kind of, like, interference? And he's like, no, he... Javi Baez knew the rule. He he didn't touch him with his glove because he, oh, he didn't have the ball. So this time, Correa kept his glove on Soto's hand and without the ball. By rule, I'm 95% sure that that could have been interpreted as interference, which, which would have given Soto third base. And I think that's why they were talking back and forth. I don't know why Martinez didn't come out and talk to the umpires. Maybe he just thought it was... Gamesmanship? I don't know if it's gamesmanship because it's the, it's the World Series. I don't I, like. I don't think no. I don't think there's any reason to take any flack for anything yeah. like that. So like I take thought with other teams. Yeah, you. I thought that was very interesting, and they didn't really even show a a replay of it. They did. They showed well, they showed one replay, but not like a, a close replay. Where, yeah, and the announcer didn't really talk about yeah. the possibility of it being interference. Okay, and then we got two more two more oddball things. There was a catcher's interference that was missed against Josh Reddick with the, I believe it was a bottom four, bottom five. It was one of the one of the innings that you were threatening. Yeah, uh, a foul tip was called, or a catcher's interference was called a foul tip, and you know that uh, catcher's interference is not challengeable under the current rules. Right. So that happened in the ALCS too, except the Ashes actually got a hit out of it. They got a hit on catcher's interference. Yes, that's correct. Yes, I remember that. And okay. I think it might have been Reddick as well in that. Yeah. So, so maybe Josh Reddick just kind of sits a little back in the box. Yeah, there was he's remember Jacoby Ellsbury would always he I'm pretty sure he's the yeah, league, league leader. Yeah, and and catcher's interference. And you can see why because his swing like he goes kind of back in his swing, but you know that that's uh for another time. Also, but, he's a lefty, and so the catcher usually holds his the catcher's glove is on usually on his right hand. Yeah. What? Wait, no, no, never mind. Never mind. Most catchers are righties, not lefties. Anyway. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, it's because it goes onto the other. Yes, yeah, it sort of no, goes I think to if the other side of the plate. If you're reaching, yeah. it goes, yeah. Okay. I, I could see that might that might, might be a cause why. Ellsbury's but, a, let's see. Yeah, he's a lefty. Lefty, yeah. So, and I was surprised that the, the umpires didn't even, like, really get together and talk about that because it was pretty clear watching, even, I guess, you know, you hear two sounds of, you know, as an umpire, and you yeah. think automatically, oh, it's a foul tip because catcher's interference just re- doesn't really happen a lot. Did the ball end up in no, his it, glove? No, it didn't. Oh, okay. 
So so it can count as a foul ball. Count as a foul ball. And I don't think he got a piece of, like, I don't think he hit the ball foul either. Okay. I was. You don't surpri- think he hit, the, he hit it at all? No. I would have to see another replay, but they showed it a couple times, and it looked like he didn't uh, make, contact. make contact with the ball. It only made contact with the glove. <laughs> that reminds me of, ooh, oh, man. We didn't talk about this, or did we talk about this? The When did this happen? In game two of the ALCS with Gary Sanchez? I don't know if we talked about it, but um, was yeah, game two. Okay, I, no, I don't think we talked about it, but I yeah. know what you're. I know what you're so talking about. So in game two of the ALC, ALCS, Yankees had won game one. Game two goes into the tenth inning, and so it's in Minute Maid Park. So the Astros, so the Yankees are up first in the inning, and so there's might be one man on, two men on. I don't remember, but basically Gary Sanchez uh, works like a ten pitch at bat, and on the ninth pitch of the at bat, he uh. He supposedly fouls the ball off, but the ball, the ball like goes into the dirt and bounces and like bounces away. And this was supposed to be on strike three. So Sanchez com- on on replay completely missed the ball, but you can't challenge it. And so uh, Gary Sanchez basically just tricked the um- Gary Sanchez. Oh, foul, foul, foul ball, foul ball! As soon as he swung, and the ump called it a foul. And this yeah. this is a rule or not not a rule. This is a play that I that umpires along with catchers interference. I think it's a very tough thing to call because yeah. you can't really see it. But it's one that's very – more often than other plays, it's missed, yeah. which I think it's it makes it, it weird. It reviewable. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. It shouldn't it's be so reviewable because review. it's, it's very easy to review. It's not subjective at all. It's, uh, you know, it's not a judgment call. Yeah, and so continuing on the Sanchez thing. So Sanchez does that. I think everyone realizes what happens. I think they might show a replay on the big screen. The ump is probably like a little embarrassed yep. because he thought he just cost the Astros. Like if Sanchez gets a hit there, he cost the Astros a run. So next pitch. Next pitch is at least six inches outside, and the ump call and the ump rings up Sanchez on it, and Sanchez just goes off on the ump, and it's hilarious because Sanchez is obviously right, and I've never seen a bigger makeup call in such a bigger spot, but I've also never seen a makeup call so deserved. So like as a Yankees fan. You got to hate it, but you also got to respect it. And then obviously in the bottom of the inning, uh, Carlos Correa hits a walk-off bomb on the first pitch of the inning. So I would have loved to hear what the conversation oh, is between Sanchez and the umpire. Um, I, I, would have, I would love it to be, you know, something like, where did you have that pitch? You know, that was outside. And he's like, like, you know you struck out. And like that being the <laughs> end of the conversation. Like, so. That's the conversation ender right there. You don't have to say when he struck out. He. He you, he knows that he strike out. You know, like yeah, I gave you four. I gave you four strikes there. And man, Sanchez also remember he goes. He has to go back behind the plate for the next inning, and then he has to watch literally the pitch after. In the ball game that uh, Sanchez struck out, and because remember that's the end of the inning. Yep. Correa hits a home run in the first pitch of the bottom of the inning, and poor Sanchez. I cannot imagine what he was thinking. But the ump has got to be like, well, well, I guess that was what's supposed to happen. Ball don't lie. All right, next oddity. This one was, I believe, bottom seven or bottom eight. Yeah. Uh, Victor Robles uh, oh, on a fly ball by... Uh, George Springer. George Springer, there's a guy on second base? No, this is that, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Oh, then seventh inning. Seventh inning. Is it the one somebody... where he lost his glove? No. Th- that's another oddity. Is this but, the one where know. the ball bounced off his glove? And... Nope. This what is... happened to so... this? Oh, I I do remember. Yeah, this. so yeah. this is Preston Tucker, yeah. Pre- or sorry, Kyle, Kyle Tucker, Tucker, Preston Tucker's Preston, younger brother. Uh, yeah. So Kyle Tucker is on first, and the fly ball to pretty deep center, a little bit short of the warning track. Robles makes the catch, immediately fires to first. A bullet. A bullet to first, but see the to... thing was Tucker was tagging. Yeah. Up at first, and he just moved to second. Yeah. One thing, if he threw to second base, Kyle Tucker was a dead duck at second yeah secondly robles has a hell of an arm yeah secondly this is a perfect example of mlb road to the show glitch oh shoot press the wrong button threw it, <laughs> threw it to first i thought i just thought that was funny yeah and what was kind of hilarious to see is that i think earlier on in the season robles had made the same mistake with someone tagging he didn't realize that the person had tagged, and so he just fired to the wrong base, basically, to try to double the guy up. And so, that like, Robles did not have a great defensive game. Robles also, as I mentioned a little earlier, 
He had one where he dove for a ball. His glove, like, bounced off the ground. It, like, like, he dove head first. And I think the ball, like, bounced off his bicep or something like that in center field. Someone else had to pick it up. And then this is one which the Astros really might want to have back. So in the NLDS, Ronald Acuna Jr. seeming uh, basically pimped a single, which he thought was going to go out. And then he ended up getting only to first base. He didn't end up scoring. And, and the Braves end up losing that game. And so in this game, George, so Tucker's on second base. And George Springer hits a ball deep right center field. You imagine it's going to go back, especially with, you know, I guess the balls have changed. Balls, balls are, balls are ball, unjuiced. Balls are unjuiced now. Uh, so then Victor Robles, uh, almost gets it. It bounces off his glove in right center field, but Springer does the same thing that Acuna Jr. did. Not like the same, like, backflip kind of way, but he, like, sort of, like, takes his time, like, staring at it, and then suddenly realizes it's not going out and takes off at a sprint. If George Springer runs out that ball from the beginning of when he hits it, then he gets to third base, probably, with only one out, and that's an issue because... Uh, the next batter, Jose Altuve, flies out to lines out really to right field, and so Springer could have tagged on that. The Astros would have tied the game up right there, but instead he was stuck on second, couldn't even advance. So a- after the game, Springer, you know, when asked about it, said, uh, "You know, I didn't want to pass the runner at second, which I think that's just not true, because he wouldn't have got to second by the time the ball landed." Yeah, and it really brings up an epidemic of. Why do people, why do hitters try to pip these home runs that aren't home runs? Because yeah. you have hit thousands of home runs in batting practice. Yeah. You should know when the ball is going out. And if there's any doubt in your mind, then there's Run. no there's no reason to stand there and hop up and down or walk down the first baseline. It doesn't really look any cooler if a ball that goes four feet over the wall is you know you can yeah. if you hit it 450 feet I'm all I'm all for you know Soto's army hit. army crawling to first base Soto hit one of the train tracks earlier that was a no doubter Correa's walk off in game two of the ALCS that was a no doubter and oh my goodness did he pimp that one yeah so but this one don't don't watch it if if you have to watch to see if whether it's going out or not the answer is clearly run y- yeah there's just I think it's. You know all the old all the old heads in you know in the game that are like ah oh, you know if he if he pimps that home run I'm drilling the next time you know they're getting you know a sort of vindication like yeah that's what they get for not hustling it out which is dumb it's dumb but it's also true they not well they shouldn't get beaned for no, pimping I'm, a home run mm, but they should not get beaned for pimping a home run the, but the pitchers I, do I'm is not saying they sh- I'm not, next I'm not time. saying sh- they should get beaned but if you pimp a home run then I don't have a problem that if the pitcher doesn't like it, I think if you get hit, you should take your base and not be mad about it because you know exactly why you got hit. I don't think we should be hitting people in the first place, though. I think if you're a pitcher, guy pimps a home run on you, great, good for him. But don't, but so beat him next time at his own thing. Strike him out and make him look dumb. Get him to an 0-2 count and then make him swing at a ball in the dirt. I just, the thing that he can do and then, and then, I don't know, do like a Fernando Rodney on the mound thing where you just like shoot an arrow up into the air. Or something okay, like you that. brought up Fernando Rodney, so now I have to talk about Fernando <laughs> Rodney. If I, we don't get to see Fernando Rodney Zero in game, ERA in the playoffs. Zero point zero zero in, in, in this ERA playoffs, in the playoffs. But here's an interesting stat. Fernando Rodney, if he gets to pitch in this World Series, will become the fourth player to pitch slash play in, a, in the AL wildcard game, NL wildcard game, ALDS game, NLDS game, ALCS game, NLCS game, World Series game for the AL, and World Series game for the NL. That's pretty damn impressive. 2006 with the Tigers. Doesn't Okay, so he, here's here's what it, when it happened. They lost. He pitched in the AL wildcard game 2013 with the Rays, 2018 with the A's, NL wildcard game 2017 with the Diamondbacks, ALDS 2013 with the Rays, NLDS 2015 with the Cubs, and this year with the Nationals. ALCS 2006 with the Tigers, NLCS 15 with the Cubs, and this year. this year with the Nationals. World Series game for the AL was 06 Tigers, and if he pitches in this World Series, then he'll have done, you know, he'll have done it all. Can, do you like the Grand you, Slam of baseball? Can you guess who the other three players who have done this are? That's a great question. All right, um, 
Give me an era for each one. It's. I mean, you have you you would have to play in the both AL and the NL wild card game. Okay, wild card game. Oh, so it's very recent. Um, I want to guess then. Hmm. I would say Dallas Keuchel, but he hasn't pitched in the NLCS or the he hasn't pitched. Yeah, NLCS or World Series. But I feel like he might have pitched in it. Um, let's see. Is it, Scherz, also, is Scherzer? It's, it's pitch slash play. I want to say Scherzer. So that no. Oh, so are they all hitters? Mm, there's two hitters and one pitcher. Okay. So I'm surprised Scherzer hasn't. Um, hmm. It's a good question. I don't know. I can't think of any. Give me one name. One of them is John Lester. John Lester. Okay. Um, give me one of the teams that one of these players play, played for. Well, that that's that's the thing. They played for multiple teams. I know, just one of the teams. Oh, uh, that's hard. I mm. I don't know. I just want to give me. I want to see. Like, there's. I can't think of anybody because. Okay, so the other the other two are both hitters. One of them is a recent World Series MVP. Okay, fine. So it's clearly not. Wait. Oh, who won the MVP last year? It was some weird guy. For it was Steve Pierce, but it's not it him. Steve, okay, it's not Steve Pierce. George Springer is also a recent MVP, but he did not. He clearly has not played for anyone but the Astros. I think Chris Bryant won it in twenty. Chris Bryant didn't win it. Oh. Oh right, wasn't it like David Ross or something? No, it was for the Cubs. It was some random guy, wasn't it? Not random, but he is the he is the guy. Yeah. I don't remember. I remember it's Ben, ben Zobrist. Ben Zobrist, right, because Ben Zobrist had that um, clutch hit in the top of the 10th. And then the last guy is, your hint is that he is being, he is a top candidate for one of the managerial jobs. Okay, so it's not David Ross because he already got hired, which we're going to talk about. Um, top candidate is Carlos Beltran, who I believe played for the Yankees. I def- he definitely was in the NL. Is it Carlos Beltran? Yeah. All right. So that's your bit of trivia for today. Carlos Beltran, uh, Ben Zobrist, John Lester, and hopefully Fernando Rodney. What a great amalgamation of talent. Four absolute studs. Yeah. I mean, you have to be like, you, know, you're, you have to leave your team in the first place. You have to leave leagues in the first place just to have this happen to you. And your team has to be good, but maybe not quite good enough. I don't know. Like, they can't, you got to make the wild card game in the first place. Not everyone plays in it. Yeah, I'm in very intrigued to see who is going to add to this over the over the years. But Keuchel is one to watch because if he stays in the yeah. NL, because uh, did he pitch in the in the wild card game this year? No, the Braves weren't in the wild card game last this year, so he's got the wild card game, NLCS, and World Series. But I feel like if he stays on a contender, like if he stays on the Braves or something like that. I think he might be the next guy that we see do that. That's my bold prediction for 2020. Lock it in. Interesting. Yeah. So <laughs> another little interesting fact here. Max Scherzer made his debut April 29, 2008 against the Houston Astros, and he retired all 13 batters he faced. Mm, that sounds pretty par for the course with the Astros around that time. So that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, so lost among all this is the fact that the Nationals did, in fact, close it out barely winning five to four yeah shocking a lot of people they're now up one game to nothing in the world series they've won their first world series game uh ever as a yeah. as washington nationals they're, or the, the montreal expos never made or it. the expos but the senators did last win a world series game in 1933 but they're the texas rangers now because baseball is weird yeah um so looking ahead we got game two tonight uh, we got Verlander and Strasburg. Yeah. Um, I before the series, I thought that this was a game that the Nationals could win because Verlander has not been great. The Astros haven't won, haven't given him a win in his last three starts and in, yeah. in in the postseason this year. I did want to talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So, Strasburg has basically been the version, the Nationals version of Garrett Cole. He has, I think, a career postseason ERA of like one point one six. Yeah, it's it's something. It's it's very yeah. Good. So Steven Strasburg, famously he or maybe infamously he didn't pitch 
in the playoffs his rookie year when the Nationals made it and obviously got eliminated because this is the first time they won a playoff round. And because and this was sort of the beginning of baseball's whole idea of not the beginning, but really where when mainstream. Yeah. Not the peak. I think we're reaching the peak. But the, really when it started becoming mainstream. Yes, when it, when to it rest, became vogue, as they yeah, say. in vogue. To rest uh, your pitchers, your young pitchers especially, and make them not to pitch too many innings. Because Strasburg was a rookie that year. He had elbow surgery in the past. He was a top prospect. He was actually the number one overall pick the year before Garrett Cole was the number one overall pick. And so the Nationals were, I think wisely, honestly, keeping a cap on his innings and he's been healthy pretty much ever since i don't think he's missed more than like i don't know maybe a few starts since then and he's been lights out in the postseason so yeah this is really a chance for the nationals to lock in um like like i don't know they could if they win this game right here tonight they could sweep the series but obviously i don't know by the time you hear this podcast something will have happened but i just don't know what but what I also wanted to mention is that the Nationals are 7-0 and in their last seven games. The Astros, meanwhile, are only 4-3. and Like, even though the Astros obviously were the best team in baseball all year, since, everyone says it, but since, like, mid to late May, the Nationals have been keeping up right with them. So, the, the Astros in the playoffs right now have a plus-one run differential. Yeah, the Astros were out-hit, uh, out-slugged, uh, in the series against the Yankees, the series against the Rays was way closer than it should have been. This is something I was saying before the playoffs started, that the Astros were a lot shakier than everyone was thinking because they were sort of penciled in as the champs. One thing which, this is honestly a funny story. So back in 2017, actually no, back in, I want to say 2015, someone named Mattress Mac in Houston, that's not his real name, obviously, no one names a kid Mattress, um, basically had a deal that if the Astros made the playoffs, then anyone who spent over X amount of money in his store would get their purchase refunded. The Astros made the playoffs this year. In 2017, he decided to do the same thing about the World Series. The Astros won the World Series that year. And this year, he did the same thing. And the Astros are in the World Series. So what he's been doing is been going to a lot casinos all over America trying to bet as much money as he can on the Astros to recoup his losses if the Astros make the World Series. So I think that the reason the Astros are such heavy had been such heavy favorites in the Vegas odds is on, is partly because of casinos not wanting to lose too much money if Mattress Max predictions end up coming end up coming true. That's a horrible strategy financially by the way. I would just cut your losses if that's going to happen. Like Mattress Max or Vegas. Yeah. Mattress Mac. Yeah. I, but Mattress Mac is also the hell of a stand-up guy. He gave lots of free stuff to people after Hurricane Harvey, and people were like able to sleep in his stores and stuff like that after their homes flooded. And it's a mattress store, so, yeah. It's a great place to sleep. But so I just think that's something funny. And, again, this is a Nationals team, which I, th- I don't know if you wanted to talk about this, but the Nationals match up really well with the Astros. And this is something we were saying before the series and seems even truer now. They, The Astros should have had four really good starters coming into the playoffs. They only have three because Wade Miley imploded and was left off the ALCS and now World Series rosters. And they actually don't have a lefty in their pen for the first—I I think there's a first team not to have a lefty uh, on their World Series team in a long time. And so the Nationals have four starters who could, they can pretty much go pound for pound with the Astros in Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin, and uh, Anvil Sanchez, who I prefer to Brad Peacock and Jose Arquiti in the bunch. And so the Nationals hitting, well, the bottom of the lineup isn't quite as good. The Astros' bottom of the lineup also has been sort of underperforming recently. And the Nationals' middle of the lineup with Rendon and Soto has been doing really well. The only issue, issue is the bullpen. And here's something where we could have a couple holes in the Nationals. Who pitched a sixth inning last night? Yeah, Patrick Corbin did. Patrick Corbin, isn't he the Nationals Game 3 starter? Maybe. Maybe, because Davey Martinez, before the series, would not uh, declare a Game 3 starter. So Maybe he knew this was going to happen. Yeah. So I'm not saying that we're going to get Sanchez in Game 3 and then Corbin in Game 4. That would be very interesting, especially if the series went 7. Um, you'd rather have Corbin throwing Game Seven than Granky throwing Game Seven. I think then you'd rather have San- Corbin throwing Game Seven than Sanchez throwing Game Seven. 
but I don't know. This is what Dave Martinez did against the Dodgers, as we talked about, where he basically just rode three pitchers the entire way and just like had in, in the wild card game too, just had the pitchers come in and pitch uh, to relieve each other because his bullpen isn't that great. Here's something I noticed. You know how the the Nationals had a bunch of innings where they left a lot of runners on base? Yep. Especially like in the seventh and the eighth inning. They brought in like they, like Tanner Rainey kind of got hit hard. Um, Daniel Hudson got hit hard. They both like allowed a run but also then got put into jams. So like Daniel Hudson came in and finished off the seventh and started the eighth. And then he couldn't finish yeah. off the eighth. So Sean Doolittle got brought in. The Nationals have a really weak bullpen, Fernando Rodney included, I want to say. So that's something to watch, especially as the series goes later. You think you might think that the Nationals just, I don't know, their pitching might wear down a little bit, especially since the Astros have people like Garrett Cole, who even though he allowed five runs, could still go seven innings, while Scherzer could barely make it through five, only allowing two. So before we talk about the David Ross hiring, um, there was a bit of a controversy. And Harrison, do you want to kind of talk about that? Yeah. All right. So this is something which I've been talking about as an Astros fan for a long time. But at the deadline last year, the Astros, the Astros are a team who probably more than anything else, they're looking for inefficiencies in baseball and market inefficiencies. And at a time with where there's so few market inefficiencies because so much of the information is a, is a basically shared throughout baseball. It's pretty much even as far as that stuff goes. There aren't that many left. And so one of market inefficiency the Astros found was this closer named Robert Osuna for the Blue Jays, who, very good closer, also accused of domestic violence for assaulting his girlfriend at the time in early 2018, suspended for 75 games, and the Astros are like, hmm, our closer is kind of imploding. Ken Giles, our closer at the time, famously cursed out A.J. Hinch, then allowed a huge home run and punched himself in the mouth as he walked off the mound, which was not a great sight to see. And so the Astros traded someone who punched themselves for someone who punched women, which, in my opinion, is trade of someone bad for someone even worse. And so I personally have watched maybe like five or six pitches Roberto Osuna has thrown since he was a member of the Astros. There are, like, a lot of fans of the Astros have really just not, have really hated this move and either will refuse to watch Osuna, have stopped watching the Astros overall, or, like, have, I don't know, just taught, basically said, yeah, Osuna's in. This is, just don't forget what Osuna did. And so this kind of came to a head I want to say, in, after Game 6 of the ALCS, because like we mentioned, Roberto Osuna allowed a two-run homer in the top of the ninth to tie the game, and then uh, Roldis Chapman, who also is a domestic abuser, allowed the game the game-running homer in the bottom of the ninth. So Brandon Taubman, who is an assistant general manager from the Astros, former um, basically daily fantasy player extraordinaire and worker at Ernst & Young, got hired by the Astros maybe five years ago or so, and worked his way up. And so after the game, the Astros, by the way, have not really addressed the Asuna thing very well, it should be noted. So after the game, uh, maybe like an hour after like the celebration started and it, there's a chance he was drunk, but I don't think that really excused the behavior, he addressed some comments at three female reporters, and one of whom was wearing a domestic violence awareness bracelet that was pr- relatively easy to recognize. It's a purple bracelet. Yeah. yeah. And so... What he said to them, basically yelling, he repeated this six times or so, um, thank God we got Osuna. I'm so effing glad we got Osuna. And basically yelled it, not just in their general direction, but at them. And so that's clearly something which is not okay. You should not be berating female reporters, especially when it's already extremely hard for female reporters in such a male-dominated sport or which pretty much all sports like this are male-dominated, and so it's hard for a female reporter overall. But this was a really egregious one. And what made it even worse was that the Astros didn't even offer an apology the next day. They First of all, they were declined to comment for the article that the Sports Illustrated reporter, one was who one of the people who was yelled at, 
wrote, and the, they said that the story was fabricated and that Taubman was talking about something else and he was defending the player. The player wasn't around. A lot of witness cor- witnesses corroborated um, Epstein, who was a reporter's story. And the Astros then the next day had an apology from Taubman that basically said, oh, that's not the kind of person that I am. I'm really sorry, but I'm not, that's not the kind of person that I am. I'm sorry I just got caught up in the moment. And their owner said, well, we donated a bunch of money to a domestic violence awareness. Isn't that something which excuses the whole thing for us? And I personally hate it. Still not going to watch Osuna. I really did like Taubman. He'd done some good things for the Astros as far as player personnel goes, but I think he should get fired over this whole mess because this is this is sort of an issue that the Ashes have had for a long time, dealing with like PR, dealing with people, et cetera, et cetera. They've had some bad press over the years. They've had a lot of good press too because so many of their players are so fun to watch, like Springer, Altuve, Correa, Cole, Verlander, et cetera. The list goes on. But when one person can overshadow the other 24... That's when you know that the one person is really the problem. So we're not going to really talk much more about that. It's not a topic that's, you know, it's very, not fun. Not fun, not fun to talk about. There's not many correct, you know, ways to go about it. So we'll end with the fact that Cubs today announced that, well, they didn't announce. In a news of great people getting uh, good news foisted upon them. Yes, David Ross is going to be the next Cubs manager. Um, mm-hmm. This not a big surprise because he was talked about a lot as a potential candidate. Beloved by the Beloved Cubs. Beloved by the Won Cubs. Won the 2016 World Series with them. Yep. Um, he no longer has to work for ESPN on some <laughs> of the Monday night games, which I know a lot of people are happy about. Um, and... I think they're definitely looking to get the production to have him bring out the production that is that they've been looking for the past couple of years yeah. that they haven't really lived up to. They've missed the playoffs the past couple of years. Yeah. They? And so I think it's a good move by the Cubs to immediately see that Madden was getting near the end of his effect effectiveness as Cubs manager. Yeah. Madden went, went to the Angels. Yep. And um, it'll be interesting to see. He's he's of the Rocco Baldelli, Alex Cora, Aaron Boone, Gabe. Ke- I guess not Gabe Kapler anymore. But mm, yeah, Gabe Kapler got fired pretty quickly. On but yeah, it's those guys that played in the mid two thousands that you know rode the bench a lot. But a lot of people love as you know people to just talk to. Yeah, they so, understood the game really well. They yeah. worked with people very well. And David Ross. Stand-up guy by all accounts. Yep. It's really great to see him get a job like that. And honestly, I bet the Cubs clubhouse is going to be a really cohesive one next year because he's really like he's one of the guys, but he's also really respected one of the guys. So you got to imagine that a move like this might be in hopes that Chris Bryant will stay on the team because I think Chris Bryant and David Ross were good friends. Yep. So, yeah. I think that wraps it up for today. We got uh, game two tonight. Yeah. Um, just before we leave, do you want to talk about uh, I don't know any former walk off home runs in the ALCS that made us happy? Eh, it's too far <laughs> gone at this point. <laughs> yeah, Aaron. It's it was kind of I feel like if you're a Red Sox fan, seeing Aaron Boone in the other dugout watching the walk off home run get hit to send your team to the it, World Series no, is a lot better than him hitting the home run against your team. Plus, also, if you're a Red Sox fan, you've won four World Series since the Yankees last won one, so don't be too mad about that. With that said, we're going to end it for today. We'll see you next week. Maybe we'll have a world champion that's been crowned already. We have, oh, let's see, how many games we got? We're going to have four games. Four games? Three games. We got one. Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday. No, we got got Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Oh, shoot, we got six games. Well, we're gonna have five games. Wait, game two to game two tonight. Yeah, off day game tomorrow. Game three Friday, game four Saturday. Saturday, game five Sunday, game six Tuesday. Tuesday. So, all right. Hopefully, if, if, if we get a seven game series, pod- podcast will probably be happening on Thursday. The podcast day. will definitely be happening on Thursday. So next time you listen to us, the World Series will be over. Will a champ will have been crowned? 
And if you're looking for a good series, you better hope this podcast doesn't come. The next podcast doesn't come out till next Thursday. And with that, we'll see you then on the other side. Thanks, guys.